Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. And I'm Chesney. And today we have a very special guest with us, uh, our mutual friend Carly. Hi. Uh, Carly is the one who was going to be getting married last or she did get married last year. Um, Chesney and I were both supposed to be in her wedding and then the pandemic happened and travel was restricted. And so uh, I at least was not able to be at the wedding. And so we didn't get to be bridesmaids together. But that Chesney is- had to stand in for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's an, um, it's an honor that I hold, you know, pretty close to my heart. So, <laughs> so uh, this is Carly's favorite episode, The Great Curry High Trip. And so there was no way that we could do this without her today. Yeah. So Carly, how did you first come to this series? Um, well, you and I watched it together in graduate school, which feels like a very long time ago, even though it actually wasn't. <laughs> I, I forgot. Was I the one who introduced you to it? Yes, you were. Yeah. Okay. You, so um, I- you, su- you successfully uh, evangelized yet again. <laughs> I don't remember how it happened, actually. Um, That's how evangelicals work. (laughs) I just woke up and I was in your living room and we were watching Utena. I don't. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Incredible. I really don't remember. That cannot possibly be what happened. It was probably more along the lines of I tried very hard to get the show to actually play on my smart TV because we were having so many problems with getting this show on there because like video formats um, being what they are, like it would only show like the subtitles for the songs, but not the subtitle track for the um, the show itself. And so... It took way too long, and you were, in fact, the only friend of ours who stuck it out with me throughout all of my attempts to get that working. Oh, okay. I do remember that now. We did have, like, a little bit of a posse. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, like, it had started out as, like, a, a four- or five-person thing, uh, but then one person moved to Arizona, and then the others just kind of, like, fell away. Uh, yeah you know the the usual shit the usual shit you get with a bible study (laughs) (laughs) i'm nothing if not committed wow that (laughs) (laughs) You, you can tell like we have settled into the comfort level around this show of just roasting me openly like that like thank you I mean, what did you expect? You've got now two people on this show that were like raised in very traditional Southern Christian churches. This is like way too close to home now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and at the very beginning of our uh, podcast series, Autumn, you dubbed yourself the Utana Evangelist. Oh, I did. I did. Like, this is this is absolutely a fair hit, by the way. Like, I am not complaining. <laughs> 
Yeah, just so, Carly, you have context. I'm like, no, yeah, I'm like, just totally, like, paying homage and fanning the flames of the yeah. <laughs> evangelist here. <laughs> oh, okay, so this has been established before. Yes. <laughs> this, is, this is established within the show. I am the evangelist here. Oh, my God. Yes. Can't dispute it. <laughs> Speaking of the show. Um, <laughs> so, this is a Nanami episode, and... Uh, listeners will remember us like discussing what Nanami episodes are like as a, a class of episode. Um, basically, they are just episodes that prominently feature the character Nanami. Um, this one is kind of riding the line a little bit because Nanami is only partially a point of view character in this episode. She's not like the point of view character that we're with the entire time this time. Uh but this is the show's Freaky Friday episode. It's kind of a rule where anytime you have any level of magical realism, eventually you will have a Freaky Friday episode. Like, this is just a thing in the 90s. It happened on every show. Um, well, like, every, like, anything with magical realism or uh, some level of fantasy to it. There was always going to be a Freaky Friday episode. Or if <laughs> and, Lindsay Lohan was involved in any right, way. Right. <laughs> Although that would be six years after this episode came out. So like, yeah. we're going oh. all the way back to the original Freaky Friday with this. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. So, um, yeah. So this one opens on... Uh, we go back to the original intro of showing the scene in the graveyard with um, Utena crying over having lost her parents. And I don't mean to say it like that. Like, that's a totally appropriate thing to cry about. <laughs> yeah, she just lost them in a mall somewhere. <laughs> so just lost. <laughs> the one thing that I noticed this time that I didn't last time. And like, I've watched this show. This I probably my 10th time through the series and I've never noticed this happen probably because like I haven't watched it this closely since the first time I watched it um but in that opening bit where they're talking about her meeting the prince the moment where it's talking about her being impressed by him there is the white roses of the prince spinning in like the corners of the screen, like that, that flower frame that they put on that, that scene. Um, we have the white spinning, spinning roses and the white symbolizes the prince. During that shot, they actually change color to pink, which is definitely Utena's color. Um, so like showing her taking on that princely quality herself. Uh, I'm just calling that out because like I never noticed it before, mostly because like they replay this intro so many times, I kind of have tuned it out a little. But this time I was like actually watching really closely because of the show or the podcast rather, and yeah, I, I just picked up on that this time. I thought I was just hallucinating. <laughs> For the record, I didn't pick up on that at all. I mean, I was like, this oh, show has probably always pink. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was like oh it's probably always pink <laughs> so again 
like with this show and the production of it, there's a lot of reused shots and reused footage because this was a pretty famously low budget show, especially for the first season. And I just really appreciate the way that they use these reused segments, both to remind us what is going on in the show. And also, and I'm thinking specifically of like the climb up the tower during the duels, like it becomes a ritual. And that ritual aspect to it is different from just like lazily reusing stuff. Every time we go into the arena, it's the shot of us climbing the tower with Utena and you know, preparing for what is about to happen. Uh, like you can think of it like the same way as, um, you know, getting ready in the locker room before a game. You know, you have your steps that you take before you're ready to play and you do them the same every time just to make sure they're all done. And it just becomes a part of the process. And like with that, we have these intro segments and I have tipped off the others that like we'll get different information in these intros sometimes. Uh, this time, I think it was just played verbatim like it was the first episode. Yeah, I was just surprised to see it again at all. Like, I just didn't think, I don't know. I I guess I wasn't anticipating it to be, if it's not going to show up like over and over and over again, I wasn't really anticipating it to be a repeating segment. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like show up in the first and then the second and then the third and then just keep going. You know, like it just becomes a part of the beginning of the episode. Sure. And yeah, like you can tell where like, this is one of the more lighthearted comedic episodes. And so they're they're definitely padding for time on this one by putting it in. But at the same Got time, it. at the same time, like that won't always be the case. Or at least mm -hmm. I don't think it's always the case. Like if you remember back to like how you watched shows in the 90s, in the early 2000s, you couldn't just like stream it in order the way you do today. Like you had to watch it in whatever order you caught it on TV. And so having these recap moments like that are also like really helpful <laughs> for like yeah. reminding people what the stakes are. Like if you didn't see the first episode, this context of who the prince is and why they why we should care could have gotten lost. So like it's not totally out of bounds on that either. Yeah. But I don't, we have already dwelled a lot on this one opening segment. And that is so not what this episode is about. <laughs> definitely not why we have a guest here today. <laughs> <laughs> so then we have like the real opening of the episode where we have Nanami spying through Toga's opera glasses on Utena and Anthe cooking. And they are making curry. We've got like this airy piano piece playing and this whole plan 
Like she has this plan to sabotage their cooking by switching out the the spices for instead of like the hundredfold curry powder, it is a uh, se- secret pa own ultra spicy nine billion fold curry. <laughs> and this whole this whole plan is apparently Nanami's plan to teach her brother a lesson somehow. <laughs> like I don't know how she's connecting these dots that hurting Anthe and Utena is gonna teach her brother a lesson. <laughs> but that's what she says it is. <laughs> yeah, this will teach my brother to ignore me. Spikes the curry. <laughs> I mean, are we sure even Nanami knows what she's doing, or is she just so focused on her brother at this point that she'll just she's just delusional? She'll do anything. The second one, that one. <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't think there's any question there. <laughs> She is still completely obsessed with Toga at this point in the series. <laughs> oh. Um, So yeah, there's an explosion because they swapped out for 9 billion fold curry. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, I don't know how that's measured. <laughs> because the Scoville unit's like 9 billion Scoville. <laughs> 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 Like, you literally can no longer taste food ever again. <laughs> like how it's not it- even... The heat can no longer be contained within your taste buds. It explodes out of you. <laughs> it's over 9 billion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Vegeta. <laughs> come on, you knew it was going to come up at some point. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Glad somebody said it. I'm glad it wasn't me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So um, the kitchen explodes. And everyone's kind of freaking out because holy shit, the the kitchen exploded. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And as we fade out on that scene, you can hear the emergency sirens going in the background. (laughs) I appreciate that. You know, I appreciate that the studio recycled those animations so that we could have sirens for those few seconds uh, in the the episode's audio. (laughs) This goes back to what you said in the first episode. For the shots of this show, for the, the scenes in this show that are not the reused parts, their economy of storytelling is top notch. (laughs) <laughs> that was like a 45 second scene and oh boy we have now set up some real hijinks <laughs> so we go from that uh we cut from an explosion and sirens to we must break the world shell <laughs> like <laughs> ascending in the st- yeah ascending in the student council elevator it's like, uh, excuse me, there was just an emergency, but they, they, they're holding an emergency student council meeting. But it's like, hey, guys, don't you think we should be focusing on, like, maybe let's have the camera follow the people whose lives were just in danger um, instead of focusing on the student council meeting? <laughs> <laughs> what I love about this, though, with the student council is they're in crisis mode. <laughs> yeah. Because, oh no, our property might be damaged. Jesus <laughs> someone Christ. Ha- someone might have hurt the Rose Bride. And, yeah, and uh, <laughs> Mickey blames himself. 
<laughs> Mickey's like, if he did, if she didn't risk her life to make me that curry, <laughs> she would still be here right now. Like this went full telenovela, and I love that so much. <laughs> this went full telenovela in this episode. Yeah, and like this is also where we get like another one of those class signals from Toga where he gets a call on his cell phone and yeah. he has a he has a flip phone in 1997. That stuff was brand new <laughs> back then. <laughs> this guy had one of the first flip phones on the market and that just tells you how rich the Kiryu family is. Yeah, I was so ready for that flip phone. We heard the ring and I was like, bring out that flip phone. I want to see it. <laughs> she did. Like, we were watching it and she did say that, like, as soon as she heard the ring. <laughs> I love seeing, um, I love watching older shows and seeing the different technology in them. That's just a weird thing about me. Well, yeah, like... It's hard to to really process the show. Oh God, if I do the math on this, like 24 years ago? Jesus. Like, and it holds up. Like, we're still doing this podcast right now because it was so good. And like, uh, but it's also a time capsule, right? Of, of some of the stuff where, Toga having a cell phone isn't necessarily a plot point as far as like getting anyone out of trouble for something. It's a plot point or it's more of a character beat of how rich he is that he has the latest technology day one. Um, and, and this is in a country where like they're already pretty cutting edge on that stuff in terms of like cell phones and stuff like that before Things like the iPhone, all that stuff was coming out in Japan first, and yeah. so um, like the the Japanese and Korean markets were always years ahead of the U.S. markets back then, and to have it already showing up in fiction, again, like that is a very clear class signifier for Toga. Really More quick, so than it I would just... be today. Really quick, I just want to go on a very brief tangent here and turn this to the audience listening and put out a plea. Um, if you know how to make any sort of edits, could you please make an edit of Toga? <laughs> could you please make an edit of Toga? Flip and open that cell phone and... Uh, edit and add in some like cute little cell phone charms because I can't remember if there are any or not <laughs> and I want you to just string together clips of Toga just like strutting around walking <laughs> and flipping open that phone and it's just the the fucking Tokyo Drift song playing in the background <laughs> like this just I want you all to know this just came to me in a vision just now <laughs> And I need this to happen. So this is the plea that I'm sending out to the audience. Uh, I don't have this edit skill in me yet. Um, it, please make this happen. Thank you. Oh, my God. This is my prayer during Bible study class. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Because I was yeah. just, I was, <laughs> I was somebody... just sitting here going, 
was there any like flip phone charms? And then it was like a that's so Raven whoosh moment. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, listener, like if, if one of you makes this, we will definitely post it on our Twitter. Like that is the thing that we will do. Uh The fact that this doesn't exist already is just a tragedy. (laughs) (laughs) So then we cut to a moment of Wakaba tackling Utena. Uh, as she always does. And then Utena just kind of sinks to the ground. Like, <laughs> what, we, what we know from the student council meeting is that Utena and Anthe were hurt by the explosion. And Wakaba goes and tackles her anyway. And then Utena just kind of collapses. <laughs> like a deflating balloon. Like, I wrote down deflate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like playing possum or going like limp noodle like she just (laughs) flopped (laughs) um and then we get our first hint from the voicing of the character that that's actually anthe in utana's body and then we cut to a shot of uh, nanami's trio um actually hold on one second Carly, what are you laughing at? Nothing. <laughs> I just got Carly giggling over here at nothing. I'm just so happy to be here. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh my god, where is it? I have it written down. Like I have a notebook just for this show. It's like I have my pages of notes. Um, just from like watching the episodes and now I'm struggling to find where I wrote these characters names down you know you're really not not helping your uh, evangelist image by saying I have a notebook full of notes (laughs) (laughs) the sacred texts Uh, right (laughs) (laughs) okay so so then we cut to this moment where we have Anthe being bullied by Keiko, Aiko, and Yuko, who are Nanami's like trio. And of course, now we know that their bodies have been switched from the scene with Wakaba. So now we've got like a little dramatic irony going on with what's going to happen when these girls try to bully Utena. And sure enough, we have another slap. And then immediately, Utena hits right back. <laughs> vindication! <laughs> I feel so vindicated. <laughs> I've been wanting this to happen for so long. And even though it's not Anthe doing it, it still feels so good. Yeah, and like, they are shocked that they got hit back by this girl. Um, and of course, Utena makes a fist and is like, do you want to have a real fight? <laughs> <laughs> and they all back down. Um, but one interesting bit about this, like when they're taunting her at the start, is, is that they're taunting her like, are you with that tomboy now? And so now we have like our first moment of I guess like kind of open homophobia yeah going on um where we're 
the first time we really acknowledge what's going on between Utena and Anthe is through this bullying. Um, it's not just that they're friends. It, it's that they're more than that. And like, we've talked about them being engaged, but that seems like a little less of a, a real thing and more just like how you talk about owning the Rose Bride. As messed up as that situation is, it doesn't feel like anyone's talking about a real engagement the same way. Yeah, right. Um, but like, this is the first time that we have like this acknowledgement that maybe there is something more going on between these two characters and that other people are picking up on that. Um, and it, it comes through in this really negative light. And so I personally am thrilled that as soon as that happens, she hits her right back. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say, too, that um, something I found interesting about this scene was um, pretty much every time except for maybe the first time that we see Anthe get slapped. Um, we don't. The first time that we that Anthe gets slapped, I don't think we actually see it. I think the camera cuts away. And it does the same thing here. But every other time, we've seen her just full on get blasted for no reason. Um, and I thought that was interesting. I don't know if it's, again, just mirroring that same, that first time that we saw it. Um, but I did think that it was interesting. It almost made it seem like you get to see this for Anthe, but you don't get to see it for Utina. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't really think of it that way. Yeah, like you get to see the abuse that Anthe endures, but um, you don't get to see it for Utena for whatever reason. I mean, I'm kind of on board with not having to watch it for anyone, <laughs> but also... Same. <laughs> Same. <laughs> but I just think it's interesting that the show did that. Right, like, that it why... chooses that lens. Yeah. Yeah, why did you choose that lens? Why show, if you're going to show any of it, why omit some? I would then say, why do you think that is? Uh, well, they probably don't want to show the heroine uh, getting slapped around. And also... Wasn't um, it just like two episodes we saw, or one or two episodes ago that... We saw, uh, actually, it was just last episode <laughs> where we saw uh, Jury throwing her around in the dueling I was arena. Just, I was just <laughs> thinking about that. But that's different because that's combat. This is um, targeted. You know what I mean? Um, even though Jury's attacks against her were targeted too, but it's, it's different because it's a heroic battle versus bullying, abuse, things like that. Like, I don't think most shows are not going to. Sh well, I can't say well, we also, that either, we, but not wanting to frame the heroine in that way. Her at the fountain. Oh, shoot. You're right. Okay. Well, then never mind. I don't know why they framed it this way. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking it might have just been to preserve the surprise factor mm. or something like that. Um, Like, as a way of uh, keeping that 
the dramatic irony of uh, we know that's Utena. And so when she gets hit and then we hear the sound of the second hit, you know, we then have that expectation. Oh, that was her hitting back. And then it's confirmed for us just as like a storytelling beat. Um, that just happens to be around something that uh, has not aged probably quite as well as the rest of the show. Yeah. You know what did age well, though? What? <laughs> what did? Those spy photos that everybody <laughs> bought. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. Nanami the paparazzi, like, truly. <laughs> Yeah. I can't decide if she wants to be paparazzi or like MI6. Like she <laughs> <laughs> she very clearly wants to be something. Maybe just like a crime boss or something. Paparazzi crime boss. Yeah, like we have Anthe doing this um investigative journalism <laughs> or this private investigator thing uh with Aiko Yuko and Keiko, who are basically stalking the two of them. And we get this Freaky Friday montage of all the things that the two of them are doing that stereotypically the other one does, like Anthe playing basketball and Utena doing laundry <laughs> and like uh, and doing or, the high jump for fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> yeah. And so we have Nanami puzzling out that like they've switched personalities <laughs> and, and then we have the, the illicit uh, photo trade going on. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that the trio um, <laughs> drops that um, Anthe and Utena are bicons um, because they're, they supposedly have appeal with both guys and girls. Both yeah. have been buying their photos. <laughs> Which, like, they already were bicons to begin with, but apparently they're even more so now. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, the girls actually say that they love the Switch. They love that yeah. they, that they are, are doing this. Uh, to be able to see Utena doing traditionally feminine things is super interesting to them. <laughs> to see Anthe doing traditionally masculine things is super interesting to them. Again, we are back to so hot, even the girls want her. <laughs> <laughs> For both of them. And then we have uh, Mickey ashamedly confessing <laughs> that um, this is all his fault and he is sad about this, but also wants to buy some of those pictures. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the other thing I found really fascinating about this is that I kept waiting for Anthe and Utena to like acknowledge, oh, our bodies are switched or, or something. It doesn't happen until like 12 minutes into the episode before they finally start talking about, you know what? Maybe it's time we switch back now. Right. I mean, I was like, are they ever going to acknowledge <laughs> this? Are they, do they even realize? Surely they must. Like they had to have looked in a mirror at some point. Or seen, I mean, they, you can see 
they can see themselves like they can see each other they're with each other all the time so like all of a sudden waking up and being like hey anthony and it's like your body in the kitchen making pancakes like uh what excuse me (laughs) (laughs) yeah and uh, toga buys some of the negatives yeah like he doesn't even buy the photos he buys the negatives (laughs) so that he can make his own copies (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so Udina shows up and is ragging on them for having done it on on Nanami and Toga and Nanami immediately jumps in with "Uh uh-uh don't blame him I get all the credit for this plan. <laughs> she wants the credit for this prank. <laughs> Which this I was can't all believe. Doing. <laughs> I I almost can't believe it because you would think she would not want to get in trouble with her brother, but I guess for her, any attention is good attention. Oh, for sure. Like that is all she ever wants. Um, but then <laughs> You know, she's doing her Ojo-sama laugh, which is priceless. I love it every time. Uh, And Toga calls her out on, hey, that actually probably wasn't that cool. (laughs) (laughs) And she immediately fades. Like, she goes right into begging him for forgiveness. Yep. Immediately crumbles. And then he exiles her. Like, what the heck? Oh, that was amazing. Until you get the spice, you're not allowed to come home. (laughs) That's pretty dramatic. They are a very dramatic family. Because then Keiko, Aiko, and Yuko puzzle out. Oh, crap. That means we have to go all the way to India. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, they get on a plane to India. And I, I love the framing of this shot with Toga in silhouette looking at the dueling arena, except it's actually a plane. Um, like under that <laughs> that archway bridge that the school has. Uh, and it's just the plane off to India. <laughs> under the bridge and on the tarmac that the school has. It's just past the equestrian fields. Yep, the school has everything. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I want to give the benefit of the doubt on this one that they went to like an actual airport. Um, Like, I can see them taking off from like Tokyo Narita uh, (laughs) in order to like get to India. Um, And then like, it was just an artistic framing that they put him watching the plane take off and all of that. I don't know that for certain though. Like this school is already playing fast and loose with with physics and space and time. And so, sure, I would buy it if they had an airfield at the school. <laughs> I mean, I guess when you have a castle in the sky, like, what can you not have? <laughs> you can't have planes safely taking off. That's clear. That's well, for I sure. guess that, that's fair. That is very fair. I mean, that that's is a very fine. clear obstacle. Yeah, it's fine. I'm sure that fly around it. pretty high, too. <laughs> like they'll just fly around it it's fine so then we have our shadow girls um and 
today's theme is divine justice, which I think is pretty similar to Western concepts of poetic justice. Um, Mm -hmm. They even say like, do bad things and you'll face the consequences. Like that's kind of it. This is a really short shadow girls moment. And yeah, you pulled this awful prank and now you have to go to India and solve it. (laughs) And get like trampled by 1300 elephants every time you do something. Oh my God, the elephants. There's like over 10 elephants. Yeah. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's the same elephant every time. (laughs) (laughs) They somehow angered like an elephant rescue or something (laughs) (laughs) because they just get stampeded at like every fucking turn we come back from the eye catch and they're uh utena and anthe are walking down the hall and uh, like she's saying like she doesn't want to be stuck like this forever because she doesn't want to quote i don't want to end up as a sacrifice to the rose seal and that just strikes me as being super callous Oh, yeah. Like, she's saying that to the person whose fate is to be that. (laughs) And she's just flippantly saying, I don't want to be that. And then Anthe's response is, oh, I don't care what I look like. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Anthe takes it as an appearance thing. But I want to focus on this moment uh, of Utena saying this, though. And I want to get your takes on it. I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I don't quite understand what that means i mean i get like i don't want to end up as some sacrifice sacrifice for what though to bring about the end of the world i guess but again how does utana know any of that well i would say like imagine worst case scenario right like or even best case scenario she has to do all the stuff that anthe already does yeah yeah, so I guess having to like be fought over and be somebody's bride and follow like their every command and whatever. I mean, I can see why Utena doesn't want to do that. I feel the same way, but it is callous <laughs> of her to just say that to her face. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's like out of all the things that could potentially happen if you stayed stuck in the wrong body, that would be the worst one. For Utena. You know, not like, oh, I really miss my body or I'm sure you probably miss your body. It's like, no, I I don't want to end up how you're going to end up. Like, what the heck? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I feel like there's like a crucial piece of empathy missing here of this isn't seemingly bringing Utena to any greater understanding of what Anthea is going through as the Rose Bride. She just knows she doesn't want to be it. Like, like I, I think of, say, um, like to me it feels like saying to somebody who works in environment services, man, I could never be a janitor. Yeah. That's just too disgusting. Mm-hmm. And, like, the person themselves being like, dude, <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> yeah. Just that the way that like pity distances you from the person you're pitying rather than brings you closer to them. Yeah, I didn't even pick up on that. I mean, now that you say it, it's glaringly obvious. But Yeah, I mean, I didn't either. I was just like, yeah, that makes sense for Utena to say. 
You know, it's been kind of fascinating listening to the two of you because like clearly you've you've got the cadence down now. Uh my notes looked really different from yours. Yeah, go ahead. What have you got? <laughs> well, <laughs> um like one note I have is that I forgot how great everyone's hair is in this series. <laughs> Holy crap, everybody has such great hair. Tell me I'm wrong. No, you're not. You're not, you're wrong. not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, oh. the the hair on this show is as much a part of the characters as anything else because mm-hmm. that is how they are coding these characters as different people. Mm-hmm. Even the side characters like Keiko, Aiko, and Yuko. They're very yeah, prominent everybody- in this episode. They don't have protagonist colored hair. But they do each have their own unique style, and that's how we can tell them apart. Yeah, everybody has unique hair in this series. I really love the way that um, the way they animate it with the hair just over the eye and the way that they do the line work with the eye, but the hair covering it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is one of the first shows that I had seen do that. Um, you you see it more these days with like digital animation uh, shows, but you know you'll like, you'll have a piece like a chunk of the person's hair hanging over their eye, and you'll have the line work of the eye still visible, but the hair piece is colored as if it's hair as a way of showing like fringe hanging in your face without Mm -hmm. covering up the face itself. Um, They use that effect a lot on this show. And I think it just adds to that, that flair um, for everyone's hair. Yeah. And even um, the trash characters on the show get good hair like Sionji. Speaking of Sionji. Yeah, you have <laughs> not even favorite. met. You have not even met the trash character who's the trashiest and has the best hair. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just of course. Just you wait. <laughs> but speaking, as you said, Carly. Speaking of Sionji, go on. Yes. Speaking of Sionji, my favorite part of this episode is the part where Utena is deliberating over whether or not she's going to write in Sionji and Anthe's secret diary, their secret exchange diary. And Anthe's like, well, you're in my body. You should write it. And then Utena has to like make up some bullshit. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and, then, and then, though, the best she can do is just writing dumbass really big on one of the pages like out of all the things Over this two is what pages. <laughs> she takes two full pages she takes a to spread. <laughs> i don't know i i think she could have done better that's my hot take i mean it was great it was great but missed opportunity <laughs> utana well for, i take it as like the most iconic yearbook sign off you know like you write like <laughs> You write hags or haggis in uh, the yearbook, and then you just write dumbass in Sionji's. <laughs> also, 
Can we talk about the other good moment with Sionji and the diary, which <laughs> I I feel like beats out the other one just a little bit for me. Uh, the pulling, quote unquote, Anthe, who's Utina, in the closet. And it's like, I want you to keep your promise the day that we explore our love for each other, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, are we about to have sex right now? Like, <laughs> is this what you're doing at lunch every day? Oh, right. And I'm like... Utena, why weren't you more concerned that your roommate is being dragged off to a closet with some guy who you've seen hit her? Like, why weren't you more concerned about that? (laughs) It's a fair point, right? Like, regardless of whether or not you want to be interfering in your friend's sex lives, once you've seen them cross the line with getting hit in public, you got to step in and be like, hey, is this really how you want to get good (laughs) um well we're gonna have to say goodbye to carly at this point yeah this is my moment to non-gracefully bow out (laughs) i'm sorry i had a i had a total like brain fart and forgot that i had a league tonight and i have to go now don't just say league what league are you playing in because this is really cool I'm playing in a pinball league. Oh shit! And a pinball I league. Didn't like, do... what? Explain that. Like, explain that to the listener why you are bowing out and like how nerdy and also badass this is. Well, thank you. Yes, dear listener, let me tell you something about my life, which is that uh, I live very close to a pinball arcade that also happens to be a nonprofit, which is very cool. Um, and they have a pinball league and they have like five, four or five other leagues in the state, I think. So like, this is a very real thing. Um, and so you go and you play for eight weeks, you get sort of ranked based on your average scores. And then at the end of the league, everybody comes together for pinball playoffs and they give you super cool prizes like potentially a pinball machine and i'm just so about it like i was so pumped to join this league last year and then covid happened and they canceled it and then this year i finally signed up and then i had a dream that i missed it and now i'm just gonna be forever anxious that i'm about to miss pinball league it's like (laughs) (laughs) so we truly we had planned to have carly on as a guest before this season of league started um, but we have her now and are grateful, but now she has to go and, and, and play a lot of pinball. <laughs> I do, yeah. I do. But, but, but before I go, before I go, <laughs> Otto, are you planning to show Chesney the movie? Because that's really where the rubber hits the road with this series. Oh my God. Oh yeah, for sure. But you can't watch okay. the movie before you've seen the series because- I mean, you could. You can, you can, but it's just kind of okay. It'll the movie would introduce characters that have not been seen on the show yet, and kind oh, of give fair. away the plot of the show, because the that movie recapitulates the the entire arc of the series in an hour and a half. It's like hitting fast forward on the show, um, except for like the end sequence, which is wild and amazing and super gay um, <laughs> but yeah like I, we haven't gotten to the we haven't gotten to the characters yet 
who Chesney hasn't seen, um, who are in the movie. And so we're, we're holding off on that. That'll probably be like oh. a special final episode for this viewing of the show. Okay, good. I'm glad it's there. I just remember when you and I watched the movie, the whole time I just kept thinking like, wow, this is something that Chesney would be really into. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I need to make sure that you experience this, Chesney, at least once. Okay. It I'm is excited. definitely in the plan. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, with that, I am leaving. This has been super fun. Thank you for having me on. I'm sorry that it couldn't be longer. This is my poor time management. (laughs) You are welcome anytime. Aw, you're sweet. Okay. You all enjoy yourselves. (laughs) Good Um, luck at League. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Pray I do better this week than I did last week. And I will talk to you all soon. Okay. Sounds good. Love you. Bye. (laughs) That was cute. Yeah. So then we have this moment where Sayanji shows up and is demanding their attention so that way he can trade the exchange diary with the one he thinks is Anthe. Uh, And again, we're coming back to this exchange diary, which we had not seen before. No. Yeah. Which we had not seen much of. No. He he pulled it out and, and talked about it humorously in a past episode but didn't really explain like what it was about yeah no we've just seen the book this is the first time that we saw the inside uh like we like we explained on the last episode or the two episodes ago um this is one of those notebooks where like you pass it back and forth between you and someone else and each of you writes in it and now it is uh, Anthe's turn to write in it but before she takes it to write in he drags her into a closet and says I want you to keep your promise today is the day we explore our love for each other um, which I don't know about you to me that just sounds like they're gonna bone down absolutely well and he starts like unbuttoning his shirt and I'm like oh my god we're actually we're gonna see what they're actually doing in this closet Oh no, like is Anthe in danger? <laughs> like is she in danger <laughs> when she's with him seriously? Yeah, like we all kind of know that Utana isn't in danger even though she's in Anthe's body. Like she's going to give him what she gave those girls earlier, right. which is like a smack across the face if he tries anything. Mm-hmm. And and this speaks to uh Utana uh definitely being bisexual. Yeah. It does. And like, because like he is stripping down and she is covering her eyes and then peeks. Yeah, she did the little (laughs) peek. It was so cute. Because at the end of the day, as awful as Sionji is, he is also pretty jacked. (laughs) Yeah. From all that kendo. Yep. Um, and, And Uten is not above getting a peek of that. So, <laughs> uh, so she takes the exchange diary and intercut with all of these scenes. We haven't really talked about this yet. Is all this stuff going on in India? True. We haven't <laughs> talked about that <laughs> the whole time. It's like smash cut to Nanami and the gang getting just, again, repeatedly stampeded by the elephants. 
Well, first it's the stampede of elephants they're running away from. Then they're all riding in a truck, like just uh, hitching a ride in the back of somebody's truck to get to the mountain where they have to go to get like the powder for this curry powder. Uh, And the elephants knock over the truck. Yeah. (laughs) And then they are climbing a mountain with like the, the climbing pick and everything. Just free climbing this cliff face. And an elephant just comes careening down the cliff and knocks them off the mountain. (laughs) (laughs) And then they have to cross a rope bridge. Where, again, stampeding elephant tries to cross the bridge and breaks the bridge. (laughs) Oh, God. And our final elephant appearance... They are on a raft trying to cross a body of water. And there are three elephants surfing (laughs) on a wave and takes out their raft. (laughs) Next cosplay idea, surfing elephant from Utana episode eight, the curry episode. It would be be such a deep cut. And like, if you go to the right convention, someone will recognize it. Right. (laughs) You will make you will make precisely one person's day and it will be worth it. <laughs> yeah, like that's all going on in India in the background of this, which is why like this falls into like the Nanami episode category, because she's the one who instigated this plot and effectively on the second half of the episode she falls off to the B plot. But like what a B plot it is. <laughs> I feel like we have a grand total of like 40 seconds of animation about what is going on in India out of maybe even less, like maybe 30 seconds of total animation (laughs) about what is going on in India. And it is still leaving such an impression to this day that everyone who watches this episode, even if they don't remember the exchange diary or they don't remember the student council meeting or the spy photos or any of that. They remember the goddamn elephants. <laughs> <laughs> like all you have to say to any Utana fan is Nanami and the elephants, and they will know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> and start laughing. And again, this is like 30 seconds of the total airtime of this episode. And it is pure pure gold it is it is the animation equivalent of the secret pa own ultra spicy nine billion fold curry like that's how condensed this storytelling is of what is going on in india <laughs> well you know what they say on them what do they say an elephant never forgets <laughs> get out <laughs> get out <laughs> You're fired. You're off this podcast. (laughs) An elephant never forgets. (laughs) So, oh my God. Dear listener, I am so proud of myself. (laughs) Oh boy. Okay. Anyhow. um, So then we get to the scene where they're they're in the bedroom. Um, Utana and Anthe are in their bedroom. And 
Utena is agonizing over whether or not to write back in this diary. And like, she's thinking through this of um, if she doesn't do it, then she has to deal with Sionji or if they switch back, then like Anthony's going to have to deal with him. But if she does do it, then um, or if, if she gets Anthony to do it, since like technically it should be Anthony doing it because it's her brain. <laughs> uh, if she gets her to do it, then Anthony will know that Sionji gave her the diary and she doesn't want to like interfere with her privacy or intrude or anything like that. And I'm over here thinking there's one scenario that you have not thought through, which is if you write in this exchange diary, Anthony's going to figure it out anyway when she gets it back again and sees a passage that she definitely didn't write. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, like that, that scenario never occurs to her because Anthony walks in while she's like agonizing over this problem. And Anthony's just like, yeah, cool, do it. Go for it. You're technically Anthony at the moment, so go ahead. Um, which shows, like, how little care she has for this activity. I know. <laughs> I was about to say, like, Anthony very clearly does not give a fuck about this diary. Or really, Sionji's feelings. <laughs> yeah, not one single fuck. Nope. She killed them, like, she killed the bugs in the Rose Garden. Yeah. But, like, she doesn't care about it to the point where uh, Utana's still agonizing over it. And she's like, oh, well, if you don't want me to write in it anymore, I'll just throw it away. And she just throws it in the in the bin. <laughs> oh, no, it's even, like, more subtle than that. Like, Utana's trying to explain the concept of personal privacy <laughs> to, to Anthe. And is like, I can't write in this. Because this is your private communication with another person. And she says, it isn't right. Meaning, it's not right for me to write in this diary. Because that would be intruding on your privacy. Which is a sacred thing that all people deserve. Including Rose Brides. <laughs> right. Uh, but this concept of privacy is so foreign to her. That when Utana says it isn't right, Anthe takes that to mean it isn't right to be writing in this diary at all. Yeah. Like she doesn't connect that Utana's moral compass is saying it's not right to intrude on your privacy. To Anthe, it isn't right is, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. This diary is wrong. Not my privacy. I don't get privacy. But the diary is wrong. Right. My master says not to have the diary. And that's her immediate conclusion she jumps to. And Utena tries to explain it as like, I, I'm kind of at a loss for words here. Um, like that's how big of, a, of an understanding gap has to be bridged around her own beliefs about her worth. Like Anthony right. doesn't think she's worth anything outside of being the bride. And like, this is one of those moments that shows us that. Like we get those peaks at, her level of agency mm -hmm. and those moments where maybe there's more going on with her. But this is a moment to me that says just how deep that programming goes. Like the yeah. concept of personal privacy is so foreign to her. It doesn't even occur to her that that's what Utana is talking about. 
Yeah, and also that it's programmed so deeply into her to fully obey whoever is her wielder, to just like switch and do whatever it is that they're saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so many red flags with poor Anthe. I know all will be, will be revealed in time, but just, oh, God. So like, can't help what, but feel what's your bad take on her. it right at this moment? Can't help but feel bad for her because, like, oh, God, you don't even understand, like, this fundamental thing, like you said, that everybody deserves. You don't, you, your brain can't even, like, wrap itself around that as a concept for yourself. Like, oh, oh, no. Oh, no, who hurt you? Yeah. Right? Like, what has to happen to a person to get them to a state where they're alienated from their own concept of privacy? Yeah, and they're like, it's almost like their will is broken because they don't have one for themselves. Yeah, and I, I think you're onto something there when you're focusing on, like, who did this and what did they do? Yeah. Because, like... It's learned. Yeah. That's so, learned behavior. Do you have, like, a tinfoil hat at this point? I don't. Because I don't know enough about... I mean, we we really know nothing about Anthe, and that's intentional. She keeps it that way. Anytime that an inquiry comes up like this, um, you know, it's that learned behavior, but it's also deflection. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, mm -hmm. it's, I can't look at this, but also I don't want to. So just deflect and turn it around on you. Oh, you think I shouldn't have this? Okay, good enough for me. Drops it in the trash. Yeah. Yeah. And like the, the automatic response that of that. You yeah, know, like there isn't even a a hesitation. No. No, it's it's both a like I said, a learned behavior, a deflection, but also most likely a protection method. I can't look at myself, yeah. you know, like I can't analyze this for myself. I can't introspect and look at this for myself. It's just automatic automatic reaction learned behavior. Yeah, like on some level, I think what it suggests is like maybe on some level there isn't a desire there as yeah. a defense because by not having a desire, by not having goals, by not having something you dream for, you're protecting yourself from any possible conflict with you know your owner yeah if i don't have dreams then my dreams can never get in the way of whatever the person i'm with wants yeah and also some level of like if i don't have dreams then i can't be a failure at them you know like mm -hmm. they're not going to get in the way of anything but also um if i don't have this i it's like it never happened. I don't fail. I, I don't want to use the word succeed, but kind of. I succeed because the other person is succeeding in what they yeah. want for themselves and for me. 
So one other thing that I want to point out about this episode is it's a Freaky Friday episode, right? Like the whole mechanic of body swapping um, as a plot device is usually employed in order to get one character to empathize with the other and vice versa. But the focus of the episode isn't necessarily on Utana and Anthe becoming more empathically connected by experiencing one another's lives. It's just kind of played for laughs at various points. Like even though like we see the the, the diary and um, Utana facing off with Keiko, Aiko, and Yuko in Anthe's stead, we don't necessarily see that as Utana gaining insight into Anthe's life. At least not in like an empathic sense. Um, it's just kind of like facts that are presented to her because the central mm-hmm. conflict of the episode isn't necessarily based upon Utana and Anthe not getting along, um, which is, a, a, I think, a strange way to employ this trope. It's definitely different. <laughs> yeah, right? Like we as an audience come to know these characters a little bit better, but the device itself isn't being used to get them to know each other better, which I think is so interesting. Yeah. So then it, I guess begs the question, why have even done it at all? Right. Like you would think if they were doing it in a more traditional way, you would have like Nanami and Anthe swap bodies or Nanami and Utana, because then you would have like opposite sides having to develop empathy for one another. Yeah. And they don't do that, which is interesting. Like, I don't know what to think of that. Oh man. If Nanami switched bodies with Utena, she would get what she always wanted. (laughs) (laughs) She would, she would never switch back. She'd be like empathy. I don't know her. And then just go make out with her brother. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) free pass to Toga's bedroom, right? Like, yeah. Which is wild. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I I think I can understand why they don't have those two swap bodies. Thank you for pointing that out. (laughs) Uh, You're welcome. (laughs) Um, Okay, so then why not have Anthe and Nanami swap bodies? That would be a much better Freaky Friday empathetic connection or empathic moment. Um, So, yeah, I don't... I guess it was... (laughs) The curry episode in one phrase. I guess it was just for humor. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, that's a really good point. And it's interesting that they were just like, nah, and just skipped right over the whole trope. (laughs) Right. They just kind of like used it and tossed it away. Yep. Um, Like, it's not often that I will criticize this show for not going hard enough on like, digging into its character's psychology (laughs) yeah um but like i think this was one episode where there was like a little bit of missed opportunity here with just which characters they focused on oh absolutely i mean we definitely could have used more of an empathic connection moment between the sionji and choo-choo i know that for a fact (laughs) (laughs) no but really it would have been more interesting to see some more in-depth conversations between Anthe and Utena. 
like I think that like had they had Nanami in the mix of the body swapping, I think we just would have gotten almost too much empathy for mm. um for a character that at at least for now is kind of a villain or at least like not a villain like an antagonist to Utana. Yes. Um, Cuz like I don't know where this show would go if if they made Nanami a sympathetic ally to Utana. Right? Like if we get Nanami learning all these facts about um about Anthe then Utana as like our audience surrogate character isn't necessarily learning it. And also now we have like a muddied, uh, like, I don't know how to say it, like a muddied connection between these characters that are being set up to be rivals. Yeah. It, you, they would have had to have put more episodes in between building the connection between the three of them. It like wouldn't if- have worked as a one and done. Yeah, like if this was an episode that came, and you don't necessarily know what's hap- going to happen in the third arc of the show, but like if this was an episode that swapped places with another infamous Nanami episode, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. one that contains a certain piece of jewelry uh, that certain listeners will understand what I'm talking about, um, if this was swapped with that, in terms of the episode order, I think they could have pulled it off. I think they could have done a Freaky Friday episode with Nanami getting swapped in and being the character who we see the episode through. Um, Mm -hmm. Instead, it just kind of acts as like a morality tale about not messing with people. Um, Yeah. Now I just want to see that episode. Now I just want to see the episode where (laughs) Anthe and Nanami swap bodies and just see where that takes the characters somebody write that fan fiction stat (laughs) (laughs) i am sure it is already out there Um, oh has to be all right i'm I'm going on ao3 right now Uh, (laughs) yes (laughs) nanami slash anthe okay yeah there's that's mm, yep that is a well-populated tag lol I'm surprised it's not a rare pair. I mean, there's eight, which for the Utina fandom is a populated tag. Got it. (laughs) Um, So the final chapter of this exchange diary saga, Utina, again, still as Anthe, comes trotting into the Rose Garden where Toga and Sionji are talking about Sionji's plan to get uh, Anthe back through the duels and like this time he's gonna win he's been training super hard he's gonna beat Utena next time it's gonna be a whole thing and Utena as Anthe trots in and is doing like her impression of Anthe voice which is super adorable and hilarious <laughs> yeah and somehow it works on Toga or um, on Sionji at no point has Sionji picked up on the fact that Anthe isn't acting like Anthe, which shows how little he notices or cares about Anthe herself. Exactly. I was just going to say that, like, 
to him, it doesn't matter because he's never seen Anthe as a person, first of all. He's always seen her as an object to have. Um, and he talks about like the love between them, but it's clear from his diary entries that whatever understanding or feeling of love that he has is a very childlike version of that or perception of that because like he draws in his diary like a conquering of Vutena and uh, winning back Anthe at the end, which again is that objectification. But um, however he sees Anthe is just a projection of his own perception. It is not actually the person there standing before him. So of course he doesn't notice. Right. Like I have been, I have been with partners who have said they love me, but like never really knew me or never really wanted to know me. And that is an exquisitely painful experience. And I just like in this moment, I'm just thinking of like, what if I had had like a freaky Friday experience (laughs) and somebody was in my body and I was in theirs? Like, would those partners have even noticed that I was acting differently? (laughs) Like, I, because like, that's what I see in this moment when Sionji doesn't notice that it's Utena tricking him. Yeah. Because Nanami figured it out. Yeah, she did. Which says something. Nanami, yeah, yeah, like Nanami's friends figured it out. Toga knows. <laughs> also, boo on you, Toga, for not cluing in your friend. <laughs> oh, Toga doesn't give a shit about Sionji. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, like just this bit of like, what would it have taken for Sionji to notice that like, <laughs> she wasn't acting like herself um so yeah uh he opens up the exchange diary and in a full two-page spread Utena has written the word dumbass <laughs> <laughs> or at least like that's how it's translated I don't actually know what the actual like if there's another different translation or what that word actually means um Listener, like if you can read Japanese and know what that says, um, please like let us know. Unless like that was Carly translating it herself earlier. Um, I wondered about that. Cause like she actually does read Japanese. She might have. I need to ask her. I'm gonna text her. <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah, um, and we get the boxing ring bell again from the uh, from the the animal episode where Nanami was being uh, chased by that uh, the um, the kangaroo, and there was the the boxing with Toga. <laughs> oh yeah, but like we get the we get the bell because Sionji has just been knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that is like. It was a knockout punch and he is out. (laughs) (laughs) So now the India trip has wrapped up. (laughs) Nanami is home. She has the 9 billion fold curry powder in like what we in the West would see as a genie lamp. But that's not what it actually is. (laughs) Right. Um, And she's carrying this. 
and she is leaping into her brother's arms and it's got that like faux romantic framing to it that like all things between Nanami and Toga do whenever we're looking at it from Nanami's perspective um and Nanami has come back like totally tanned also yeah she has and Choo Choo tosses out a banana and it trips Nanami and the container of the the curry powder smashes on the ground and blows away in the wind. And for the first, and I think only time ever in the entire series, the Shadow Girls make a repeat appearance to remind us of divine justice. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that this is interesting because if you're looking at this from... You could look at this two ways. You could look at this as divine justice against Nanami. Um, But I feel like she's already paid, you know, her dues by being chased by elephants all over a country. Um, In my opinion, I feel like this getting it, you know, uh, blown away in the wind is kind of an action from the universe or what have you from um, Utena's misdeed of writing dumbass in the book. So like, Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you, Utena, you did this thing. So now you don't get to go back to your body. That was how I initially interpreted it. Oh, not against anything. Nanami did because Nanami, in my opinion, paid her dues. She brought her the thing back to right the wrong. That's fair. I mean, yeah, like it definitely is insult to injury here. Yeah. Of you have already been trampled by elephants and I mean, really just been like worked over by these elephants. <laughs> <laughs> this entire ordeal. Um like there's a part of it that has like this uh, journey to the West quality to it of all these different trials that Nanami has to go through in order to get this curry. <laughs> um, and now I'm just picturing her as the Tripitaka monk of Tang <laughs> facing off against elephant demons. And that's a totally different show that I would love to <laughs> see someone make someday. Anyhow. <laughs> um but like yeah this harrowing journey that she goes on uh yeah like that is definitely her punishment right like yeah and then to have it amount to nothing i think is also a part of the punishment um like the the twist of you did all of that work and you have only reset the board to zero. Ooh, you yeah. don't get like you don't get to be praised for for having this thing. The punishment was the ordeal you have just gone through, but you don't get the reward for it because this was a punishment. 
This wasn't a journey you undertook because you wanted curry powder. This was a thing you had to do to make up for a wrong you committed. Yeah. That's really interesting. So then Keiko shows up and reveals, oh, oops. Uh, we never actually used the nine billion fold curry. It was actually just how bad Anthe's cooking is. That's all this ever was. <laughs> <laughs> Anthe is such a bad cook that her cooking, her attempt to cook curry uh, caused a body swap. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then it's, for me, then it's a question of, is she really a bad cook or is she just a wizard in the kitchen? This sounds like a tinfoil hat moment. Keep going. (laughs) Well, that's pretty much it. It's like you could look at it one of two ways. Oh, her cooking is so bad uh, that it caused people to switch bodies. Um, Or there's... It is a tinfoil hat moment. You're right. Because if I look back, there's been elements of magic in this show. And I'm not talking about like the whole castle in the sky. I'm talking about with Anthe specifically. I keep thinking back to that moment where Utena comes to the dorm for the first time. She's going to be staying with Anthe. She opens the door to their room. Uh, her room and uh, it's like trash everywhere and like broken down shit and like nobody's lived in this dorm for years or whatever so uh, she's like oh and she closes the door and then she looks back at it and suddenly Anthe's name is drawn in marker underneath and she opens the door back again and it's perfectly fine and I just can't get that scene out of my head for the life of me. And again, of course, this is a magical girl type series, but it feels more specifically like there is magic and power around Anthe that she is either manipulating things to be a certain way, or it's a side effect of her simply existing in this universe or inserting okay. herself into this universe. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's my tinfoil hat moment for the episode. <laughs> if we think back to that first Anami episode, which was also a Mickey episode, which was um, that f- first part of that two-parter uh, sunlit garden prelude. Mm-hmm. Whenever Nanami was trying to prank Anthe with the animals, she already had a response to that. And some of those were pretty wild. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it kind of leads us to ask, how did Anthe know what pranks Nanami was going to pull in order to, like, have in order to one-up her right to circumvent the whole thing yeah and so yeah like this is i think this is probably the most explicit it has been so far of 
there's something going on with Anthe. Yeah. And even then, it's not very explicit, in my right. opinion. Because you could just chalk it up, like in every other scenario, you can just chalk it up to, um, oh, she's just bad at cooking. Or, oh, that's just Anthe. Ha ha ha. You know, like, this show is gaslighting me and I will not have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And think about the way that this always seems to be coming up with Nanami also. Nanami is present for all of these kind of ambiguous moments. Aside from the one that you pointed out with like the reveal of the bedroom, mm-hmm. Nanami has been been there for the rest of them or has been kind of the target, I guess you could say. Yeah. Of the rest of them. Like, even though Anthe and Utana are the ones who switch bodies. Nanami is the one who has to have the lesson taught to her. We don't right. see we don't see Anthe and Utana grow as characters through this experience. We do see Nanami grow through this experience. Like yeah. She's the one who, you know, packs up and goes to do the thing. Like she didn't send her three underlings to do it. She went herself. Mm-hmm. Partly yeah. because her brother told her to, but like <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, she's the one that got told that you're not allowed back in the house until you fix this. <laughs> like, yeah. Anthe and Utena didn't have anything like that. Also, like, the extraordinary cruelty of sending a 12-year-old to India by herself. <laughs> she's 12? Or something. Like, she's younger than the rest of them. Like, that much is clear. Okay. Like, she is still a middle schooler where the rest of them are high schoolers, I think. Oh, my God. Um, I don't think I knew realized that. She's definitely younger than the rest. Um, I mean, it's possible she's the same age as Utena. She's definitely younger than Toga. Like, we know that just right. from their relationship. Um, which I guess could put her in the same grade as Utena. I Toga- always have... I've always read Nanami as being significantly younger than than Utena, though. And I could, I could be wrong s- on that. Yeah, I could see her being in either eighth or ninth grade. I could see Toga being like the older brother that's like a senior in high school. And she's just like, she's just coming up or is, or is just bumping up against like high school age. I could see that. But like, you think, I think about 12 and I'm like, 12? Oh my God. <laughs> That's so young. What are you doing? You know? <laughs> like, or 13, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, like, I, I definitely think of her as being younger than the rest of them. Um. Although, again, I guess, like, the only explicit pieces we know from the show are that she's younger than Toga. And presumably Toga is himself older than Utena because he's the student council president and Utena is um, just starting at this, at this school. Right. Um, or at least like at this tier of the school, like she's just entering the high school or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I, like, I know grades work differently 
in Japan. Um, I think high school starts, I want to say in eighth grade, something like that. Okay, okay. Or is it 11th? I can't remember off the top of, or uh, 10th. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, so like, still, let's be generous and assume at the oldest she could be Nanami is 14. You're yeah. still sending a 14-year-old <laughs> on a trip to India by her, or like with her friends. Yeah. So you have four 14-year-old girls on a dangerous journey in India. This seems ill-advised. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, end of the episode... We have revealed that it is Anthe's bad cooking that caused the the body switch, not the nine billion fold curry powder. Um, and Sionji shows up and demands that Anthe rewrite her true feelings for him in the exchange diary because clearly what is written here is a prank and not serious. And he is giving her the opportunity to right this wrong. Yeah. And as a a gesture of peace, they cook more curry for him. <laughs> and he and Choo Choo sit down to eat the curry at the same time. And it explodes again. <laughs> <laughs> and we get the best body swap ever. Which is Sionji and Choo Choo. And we see yeah. a tiny little Choo Choo at the end of the episode. Uh, Sionji is Choo Choo practicing his little kendo. It's so adorable, even though Sionji sucks. <laughs> but Choo Choo is adorable. Um, and then it pans. It cuts over to Sionji's body and Choo Choo's mind in a tree somewhere eating a banana. Which I think confirms for us that Choo Choo's a monkey? Yeah, no, this has been confirmed already, but, you know, I just... <sighs> yeah. I mean, he's a monkey the size of a mouse and clearly has magical powers. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but also, um, I guess, like, that also leaves the, the question for next tinfoil hat moment of... Uh, is it Choo Choo who has the magic that is causing all this ruckus? <laughs> oh, that could be a good point. Choo Choo is the source of all of um, uh, Anthe's magic. Could be. Um, years and years ago, I made, uh, I think 10 years ago now, I made an image of Kyube from Madoka and mm -hmm. Choo Choo. If you like split 50-50 down the center and their faces spliced together, um, I'll post it on the Twitter. It'll be on the oh, Twitter please. feed for, for listeners. Please um, do. <laughs> because these characters are both magical agents of chaos in their respective shows. Yeah, that's that's another an, another pin to put on on your conspiracy board about what is going on in this show. 
You know, I I have a pin board next to my desk where I record here, and I almost feel like I should have like these little cutouts of different like characters and moments from the show, and like Choo Choo's oh just going to be in the middle. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> Choo Choo's just going to be in the middle, and all these red strings are just going to point to Choo Choo. <laughs> <laughs> so to wrap up today, we have launched the show now. Um, all the episodes prior to this one were recorded before we had the first episodes available for listeners. So this is the first time that we are having any messages sent to us. Uh, and on you can reach out to us on Twitter or by email. We'll get that in a minute. But on Twitter, we had the user um, Nagumo19 reach out to us to say, to advise you that since you have trouble remembering... Um, Sionji's name. Nagumo writes, just call Sionji lettuce or seaweed. It's easier and is quite common amongst the fans I know. <laughs> That's amazing. So there you go, Chesney. There you go, Chesney. Whenever you can't remember Sionji's name, just call him lettuce or seaweed. I have not heard those in a long time. I love it. <laughs> that is amazing. Sionji is now lettuce boy. <laughs> <laughs> So if you want to write in to us, um, you can reach us on Twitter at Zetai Unmei Pod, or each of us also have our own individual Twitters. I'm at Life in Neon. And I'm at Car Cutie. And you can also write into the show by email uh, at absolutedestinyapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitch and although as we're recording this episode, um, the giant Twitch hack just happened. So oh, yeah. hopefully by the time this episode airs, like all of that is settled and back to normal. Um, but at least like the moment we're recording, Twitch has just been hacked. So probably won't be on Twitch today. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what are your predictions for next time? Um, next time looks really intense. Um, some shit, I literally wrote down here, some shit really goes down. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, we see Anthony in a casket. Yeah, like, holy shit. Um, but it's like, uh, this is the most information I feel like we've ever gotten from an episode preview. Sionji takes, excuse me, Lettuce Boy takes her to the um, uh, the dueling arena when there isn't one scheduled. Um, and then that's when I wrote, some shit really goes down. Anthe says, I want to get to the castle in the sky or I want to see the castle in the sky someday. And then we see her in a coffin. And I'm like, girl, are you trying to get to heaven? What? Is the castle in the sky like a metaphor for dying and going to heaven? Like, who knows? We'll get there someday. But, um, well, if yeah. you remember, Sionji, his goal is to find something eternal. Like, that's what he's hoping to find in the castle. Girl, just go to church. <laughs> <laughs> like, you didn't need to do all this. You could have just, like, gone to church and found God for yourself. Yeah, you know, Sionji, I know get you some Jesus. Uh <laughs> But um, I just, now I kind of want to see Sionji get right with God. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of the I'm OBA. Not a, I'm, not a Christ, I'm not a Christian, but I want to see Sionji go down that road. Uh, <laughs> Same. Um, it's like one of the OVA episodes. Sionji gets right with God. <laughs> well, there there is actually a sequel manga that came out um, last year or the year before. Oh, that um, where Chio Saito continues the story of Utena into the present day. Like she takes it as like twenty years have passed and picks up where these characters are at. Um, and like Sionji and Toga are like art dealers and are still kind of processing some of the stuff that goes down at Otori Academy. So like it's not necessarily canon in the way that like fans would be looking for it to be. Cause like these stories are very much um, like metaphors, the same way this show is a metaphor at times. Um, yeah. But yeah, like there is actually a sequel manga that, that is out there. Um, I completely forgot about that. You told me and I completely forgot. Well, I mean, there's the there's the manga. There's the the movie manga, which is totally different. <laughs> <laughs> um and if I remember correctly, like the movie manga has the most explicitly uh queer ending of any of the properties so far in terms of like Anthe and Utena's relationship. Mm. Um, but then there's now also the sequel manga that has been released um, as of a couple years ago. Might have been just last year. I'm Time is an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we will get to discussing those at some point. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But yeah, so I, that's your prediction for next time is some shit goes down. Yeah, some shit really goes down. That's my prediction. Excellent. Well, we'll find out next time. I'm so excited. <laughs>